1: Culture tells us that we are our desires. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 doesn't say I'm the absence of my desire. Often Christian culture, religious circles can say, just shut it down. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't even think about thinking about it until you're married and then be as sexual as you want within that marriage bed. The biggest misstep that the church has taken. And it is that we fought in this robust, multidimensional, layered, nuanced experience into a one dimensional act of sex. If sexual where a book, Sex and Physical Intimacy would be one chapter.
2: Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage.
0: And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you.
2: I'm Adam King.
0: And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them.
2: So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. In this episode, we're going to take a look at desire, reflections from a single woman.
0: And that single woman that we get to introduce to you today is Kat Harris. Kat is committed to saving sex for marriage, and she also has a strong understanding of herself as a sexual being. And if you uh, have listened to our podcast for some time, you know that that's a passion of ours is understanding ourselves as sexual beings. Um, So she has some thought-provoking reflections um, around this concept. Um, Kat is also a podcast host, and um, she is the co-founder of an online publication called The Refined Woman and the author of a book coming out soon called Sexless in the City. Um, She also has a bachelor's degree in biblical studies from Dallas Baptist University, and um, just a very dynamic gal, and we're um, honored to have her on the podcast today.
2: All right, let's get to the episode. Kat, welcome to the podcast today.
0: We're so happy to have you on. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. So glad to be chatting with y'all. Just ready to ready to have some real talk.
0: Let's go deep. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And that is something in the short amount of time we've been exposed to your work, that's something we know about you already is that you are real and we're grateful for that. So today, um, this is a topic that a lot of people are eager to hear about. Um, our audience is a very conservative Christian audience and mm-hmm. um, we are as well. And so I think that um, this narrative around sexuality in the church is something that people don't get to hear about often, but think about often and are very concerned about. And um, so we want to hear from you. um, Maybe just starting off, something that was interesting we saw in your interviewee form was that you did some photography um, for the last decade or so, which has been featured everywhere. I mean, Vanity (laughs) Fair, GQ, Forbes, People Who What Wear, US Weekly, Glamour UK, um, what are some narratives around sexuality that you've seen in the world, especially maybe given your, your background in photography and those, um, outlets. I'm that- sure it
2: gave you an insight and a yeah. deep look into that inner world too, that people yeah. don't always see.
0: Yeah. 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 So share with us what you've
1: observed. Yeah. So Okay. I, kind of, I have two answers to that okay. question. And one is, and this is sort of outside of the fashion industry because I didn't necessarily experience this in the fashion industry personally, okay. but I see it a lot in culture. And I really feel as though the cultural message is do what feels good you know nope. li- li- live your truth if it it just scratches it if you- if you're hungry feed it and it's this message of instant gratification and i think whoever you are in 2021 we at some point are people that want what we want when we want it and we want it like mm-hmm. yesterday yeah. whether it's takeout food from seamless or uber eats those minutes waiting for your food to arrive and oh my goodness I ordered something on Uber Eats this weekend and they sent me the wrong order twice you talk about an entitled millennial I mean what came out of me was was not was not a beautiful thing but all that to say is I believe culturally we're conditioned that my, I am the sum of my urges. And Rob Bell says that Mm -hmm. in his book, Sex God, he says, culture tells us that we are our desire. So the core of who I am is desire. So lead with desire, which is where we get narratives, like do what feels good, whatever feels good to you, whatever is your truth, do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I will say what I experienced in the fashion industry was something a little different. What I experienced in the fashion industry is you matter because of what you are. And obviously, I could say something like sex sells but that those aren't the campaigns I got hired to do and gotcha. so I didn't see that as much mm-hmm. however I saw as a woman in a very male dominated industry that oftentimes my femininity felt like a liability and mm. that women especially these young girls who are often 14 15 years old walking down the runways of New York Fashion Week Paris Fashion Week they're being berated by these Male-dominated photographer pits, Mm -hmm. and you see that man. These girls matter so much, infinitely, but their entire career is based on what do I look like? What number on the scale am I? Do I fit the the face of what is beautiful right now? And so I know that shifts a little bit away from that.
0: But that was your experience, Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, so I mean, it was a huge, huge reason why I started The Refined Woman after being in the industry for so long, because I wanted to offer a different dialogue that, man, fashion's fun and I love beautiful imagery. However, I matter because of who I am and whose I am. That's right. Not just because of what I do or do not look like.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Thanks for offering that, you know, additional perspective based on your, your background. You, you mentioned Rob Bell's quote that, you know, culture tells us that we are our desire. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that also play a role in um, postmodernism and the narrative of um, same sex attraction and um, gender roles, gender identity that, you know, just if you desire something or someone in this way, then that becomes who you are. That's your identity.
1: I what I'll say gosh I, I feel like I'm not an expert on all the things that you listed but we are definitely in a culture of postmodernity uh, of oh. truth is what says me right like a yeah. truth it, that's where we get my truth is we are in a postmodern culture mm-hmm. that says truth is not knowable and so in that it's it's hard to find absolute right so right. but the thing about postmodernism is that, all truths are accepted unless you have a truth that is absolute, right? Mm. But postmodernism <laughs> in itself is an absolute truth, which is kind of where things, self-defeating. Yeah, yes. you're like, wait a second. So you can live your truth, but if my truth says that your I truth is
2: wrong, <laughs>
1: your truth, your truth, or that this is just the truth that I'm I'm adhering to, which. Truth, whenever you have a truth claim, it's going to exclude other part, other truth claims. And that's why it's called a truth claim. And I think that feels very threatening. But I think to your question about whether it's gender identity or a desire or even am I the sum of my urges, whatever that is, I think the cultural narrative is that. I am my desire. And so when I am my feeling, that's super connected to postmodernism. Yes. And I think that's where the invitation of Jesus and even the, the scriptures of Old Testament is actually Genesis 1, through 31 doesn't say I'm the absence of my desire. Mm. Often Christian culture, religious circles can say, just shut it down. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't even think about thinking about it until you're married and then be as sexual as you want within that marriage bed. Well, that's not the God invitation. The God Mm. invitation is let us make humans in our image and our likeness. And God called humans very good. So actually the core of my identity isn't my desire, it's that I am an image bearer of the creator. I am a child of God. The Latin call it Imago Dei. And yes. so I think that if if we are able to start the conversation from there, that opens up a whole other world of things. Because yeah, if I'm the sum of my urges, then we're we're about to have a Hunger Games meets Lord of the Fly. <laughs> yeah. You right. know, a lot of the chaos exactly. that we experience in our culture in the last few years you know this this blow up of well this is my truth well this is your truth well this is misinformation and this is false information but in a society that has no truth how can you say what's right or wrong yep
2: right yeah. and how temporal a desire is like the desire is so fleeting and it could change and it's fickle it's so interesting i i love working with clients um Cause really a desire is in part a thought, right? It's a, it's kind of, I probably should get more like deeper into like what exactly is a desire outside of a thought, but we know it's an inclination towards something, right? But we have desires. We're not our desires. And we can, we can probably up the chances that we have a desire towards something by what we expose ourselves to regularly. So, I know we know that they're changeable, so I guess that would go back to you know who are you hanging around and what are you allowing into yourself mm-hmm. and then what are you allowing your your mind what are you allowing to percolate right what are you inside of you? On? yeah, what are you eating
0: yeah, yeah uh, question for you, cat, so you talked about how you know in Genesis it's not Im- implying that we are um the absence of our desires either we're not our desire but we're also not the absence of our desires in the church's effort to um, hmm. help people embrace an identity in christ and and to you know find that um i guess that uh purging of of the old away with the old and in in with the new right we are a new uh creature how do you think the church has perhaps gotten it wrong even when they're trying to get it right um, when it comes to helping people embrace a healthy narrative around sexuality
1: I mean I think the biggest misstep of and I can't speak this isn't capital C church <laughs> when all when all said is when all is said and done I'm a white girl from the south and uh-huh. so my experience is Southern Christian, conservative evangelical culture and that's all i can speak to sure. and even in that my experience in the evangelical conservative culture isn't everyone's so yeah. i kind of want to make that sure. <laughs> disclaimer because i think it's easy especially when when i when we when a lot of us have experienced pain and trauma from mm-hmm. our church experiences to put that on everyone and everything. So when I say something like, I think the biggest misstep that the church has taken, I'm speaking from my experience and it is that we flattened sexual desire. We flattened this robust, multi-dimensional layered nuanced experience into a one dimensional act of sex that can only be experienced in marriage. And we, we flattened this robust experience to a set of rules and do's and don'ts. And that's not the Jesus way. That's the Pharisee way. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so I think in efforts to have good intentions, but also not, not everyone has good intentions. So I think there was control at play. It's much sure. easier to preach. Don't touch his butt. <laughs> Just don't <laughs> do it. It's, it's much easier to offer a black and white, soundbite we mm. equip people to seek God. Mm. Look at the scriptures. We have a generation of people who feel shame mm. around their desire, feel shame around their sexual past, feel shame about not being able to live up to the quote unquote rules and feel like they don't have a seat at the table because somehow the message of Jesus and salvation became like Jesus plus virginity plus works. Mm. Plus if you're, if you're able to get the approval of your pastors and leaders in your church, then you're saved. Uh. Like, Mm. well, it doesn't mean that there's not invitations or wisdom or rules and scripture, but I just feel like we got off track.
0: Mm, Yeah. yeah.
2: What do you think? I love how you said a second ago, like we've kind of flattened the multidimensional aspect Mm -hmm. of of sex and intimacy. What do you think is lost when that, that multidimensional beautiful thing that God created is flattened? Yeah. What do you think is lost in the process?
1: Oh my goodness. So many things. I mean, one, one thing, so to me, how I, how I explain sexuality is I say, if sexuality were a book, sex and physical intimacy would be one chapter. Mm-hmm. And so I, there's an author, Deborah Hirsch, and she wrote a book called Redeeming Sex. And in it, she kind of gives this macro definition of sexuality. She says sexuality is the desire that every human on earth has for all time to connect outside of our other connect outside of ourselves with a lowercase other. Mm. Now our spirituality is the human desire that we all have to get outside of ourselves and connect with capital O other or God. Mm. So sexuality is a shadow of our spirituality. And and it's like, Christians aren't afraid to say that. It's like, oh yeah, Song of Solomon. Yeah, it's about sex, but it's also about the relationship with Jesus and the church. But then when we kind of go around and make that more practical. It, it feels, I think it can feel kind of scary sometimes. So I think when we flatten sexuality and desire to just... and what Deborah calls it in her book as genital sexuality. So we just make it about sex. Mm-hmm. We're missing out on this whole other aspect of sexuality. And in that we're also flattening again, what it means to be human. So if I believe the invitation of Jesus is to abstain from sex until marriage, and if I believe that the only way sexuality can be expressed is by one act of sex and marriage, then I have to shut down a part of myself, compartmentalize what it, what it means to be human until a day that may or may not ever happen. happen. So that's really yeah. bad news for single people. Because yeah. it seems in the scriptures that God didn't create us compartmentally. And so if we go back to that Genesis text, so if God created humans and called us very good, then that means my sexuality is a part of that goodness. And it also, we have to look at what the text says and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Mm -hmm. it's only good after marriage. It's only good. No, it says it's good. So that means when we say sexuality can only be expressed via sex inside marriage, then we are telling a lot of people, especially in our generation, I go to a church with 80% single people. So mm. you're telling me that I have to shut down a part of myself mm. until marriage. Uh, I understand. I'm, and I am choosing to wait until marriage to have sex. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying have all the sex in the world. I'm just saying, if God didn't compartmentalize us, there has to be a way to stay connected to our values, to God, to ourselves, yeah. and also connect with our sexuality, regardless of our relationship status.
0: Uh, yeah. What would you say, Kat, um, especially because you're, you're in an interesting position where, you know, I think you've marketed yourself as like the 30-year-old virgin, right? Like that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> some, some marketing
0: stuff I've seen. Uh, I don't know if it was in your one sheet, um, but I was like, that's so interesting because you you, ha- you grew up in conservative Christian culture you are saving yourself for marriage in terms of your virginity um, but you also embrace yourself as a sexual being made in the image of god what are some healthy ways that people can express their sexuality prior to marriage Um, because like you said sexuality is not this one act of sexual intercourse
1: yeah i think the first thing is to Really a- acknowledge this more macro approach to sexuality. Mm. So when so when I am able to say, you know what, that really resonates. It it, it feels really true to me that the does there there's a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex. Mm so my Talk sexual yeah. yeah so the sexual desire is that desire within me to get outside of myself and connect with another human which mm. desire for sex does that same thing if you want to have sex hey honey i'm getting <laughs> outside of myself right connecting with another person That's true. and what can that ultimately do it can ultimately make babies which is amazing. So, if we zoom out from that, desire for sex is a physical manifestation of the sexual desire to get out of ourselves and connect with others. So, in that, there's a million and one ways to connect. One is acknowledge my desire and thank God for it. Like, let's normalize and destigmatize and remove the taboo about being human and having sexual desire, feeling turned on. I mean, Jesus lived this earth and was single. I can guarantee you if he was a living and breathing human being, male, he experienced sexual arousal. And so to normalize that, when I feel feels, when I feel desire, okay, it's here. I'm feeling desire right now. God, thank you so much for creating my body to feel alive. Thank you so much that... Yeah. Even something about my desire reflects aspects of your character. Show me God, show me God, how my desire is for your good. So I think first acknowledging it, like, let's not pretend it's not there. It's not like the elephant in the room anymore that we have to pretend
2: <laughs> walk isn't around
1: there. And then I think a, a, just a couple really practical things is again, like I said, sex makes babies. Right. And so Ultimately, sex is this creative collaboration that makes new things, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to be connected to my sexuality and desire as a single person, why not have an eroticism for life that propels me into collaboration with other people to create meaningful work? Mm. Us right now, we're connected to our sexuality and desire because we're coming together to create something, this conversation that's never been in the world before.
0: Uh. That's an interesting concept. yeah. And
1: in that, it's bringing people together. Mm. So allow your desire to propel you outside of yourself to create new things, to invite unity into your community. Mm. I didn't know that was going to (laughs) rhyme.
2: So I guess what I'm hearing you say is you're kind of putting sexual desire in the same kind of the same category as the desire to be known by another.
0: And to create and to another.
2: create with another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once that happens, you can still you could still um you could still let that piece of you um be known yeah. f- and flourish while maintaining your, you know, godly morality. Yeah. Uh, you absolutely. know, with that, if you're not married yet. Yeah, for sure. We'll be right back to the interview. But first, we wanted to share something that we are really excited about.
0: So, you know, we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations.
2: And that's why we created the monthly live date night.
0: And monthly live date night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. We focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick. And then 30 minutes, we do a Q&A and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. And we share tools. Uh, We have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in. But we really want you to take action in your marriage too.
2: So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details.
1: All right, back to the interview. And I would say in that too, there's other ways to do that. It's not just, oh, I guess I got to start a podcast <laughs> feel a <laughs> <on> today. But <laughs> I think if we, let's think again about what, what makes a positive mutually, a mutually pleasurable sexual encounter mm. is when both parties are present. Like, mm. and I'm talking like mind, Mentally body, spirit present. present. Mm-hmm. So I know The number one libido killer is responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have other things on your mind, you aren't able to be present in that sexual experience. Sensuality, yeah, maybe we think of that, and I think of, you know, candles dripping or, you know, (laughs) sexy, silky nightgowns. It can mean that. And it can mean implementing things into my everyday life where I'm practicing the art of being present whether that's having people over for dinner and having a bowl for your phones and everyone puts your phone in the bowl tonight. We're just going to sit here and eat good food and be present to our conversation. Whether that means, all right, in bet- if I arrive to dinner early, instead of getting my phone out to scroll through social media, what if I just sat with myself?
0: So good.
1: What yeah. if Instead of every moment of, of awkwardness or uncomfortability or boredom, instead of grabbing my phone, I chose to be present. What if instead of having my phone with me until I go to bed and the first thing I, I open up when I wake up, what if for the first, the first hour of the day and the last hour of the day, you had your phone outside of your bedroom and just were present to winding down and waking up? Yeah. Yeah. Like these are all things of practicing sensuality, having a discipline, a discipline to being Mm -hmm. awake to my senses because Mm -hmm. I believe how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. So if I'm not able to be present in other areas of my life, I'm not going to be able to be present in the bedroom when that time comes.
0: Yeah, yeah, That's
1: That's really good. I think it's just getting... Creative and brainstorming, okay, if I believe this narrative that sexuality isn 't just sex, mm-hmm. then let tease it out. Yes. you know what does that mean and That's and so i good. I think it I used to think it was weird,
0: mm-hmm. oh,
1: so you're saying uh, I am like turned on and doing a podcast or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the thing is, is that God is just not afraid of our desire, right mm-hmm. God right? is not afraid of it at all yeah. and I think we feel so like, I don't want to feel awkward. I don't feel weird. Okay. Well, welcome. Shame. to being human. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: I love your concept of sensuality and the role that creativity plays the role of being fully present and aware and mindful plays in that concept because, um, I think that would apply well to, for instance, low libido women, um, men too, but typically we see 80% of the time it's, it's the women in a marriage if they're having trouble in the bedroom being present, if they're having trouble with um, just desire, they can practice mindfulness. They can practice their sensuality outside the bedroom by being aware of those five senses and being engaged mindfully and creatively. Um, Absolutely. And then th- we see the same thing when we see people recovering from porn addiction, They're often, you know, funneling their creative energy into worthy causes. Mm -hmm. You know, they do start a podcast Mm -hmm. or they'll, you know, start some sort of ministry or they'll write a book or they'll Mm -hmm. get creative with that energy that was being funneled into something that wasn't productive for themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even when you said that, as far as, uh, women experiencing low libido and really anyone experiencing lo- low libido. There's so many things you can do for that. And I think, mm. I mean, as I think as women, we, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you. I can only speak for myself, but it's so easy to get stuck on my head. Yes. And yeah. so much about sex or so I hear is about being present, right? <laughs> so if I'm li- like, we are a culture that lives in our brains, right? Mm-hmm. And well, what's the fact and what's the t- statistic and I got to send these emails out. Mm-hmm. And so to have a practice of going from your head to your heart
0: mm-hmm. is,
1: and, and really in that, what we're doing is reassociating with our bodies So much of our existence is being disassociated from our bodies. And especially especially in church culture, we're taught things, well, your heart's deceitful above all things. Mm -hmm. So your emotions are bad. So Mm -hmm. shut it down and just know logically why you believe in God. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Transformation doesn't happen with knowledge alone. It's knowledge and experience. And so if you are struggling getting from your head to your heart, a huge thing that I practice is breath work. Mm -hmm. And so a very simple thing is, and that might, well, how can breathwork connect me to my body? Well, the very first thing God does in the scriptures is exhale creation into existence. So the connecting to our breath and then God breathes the breath of life into humanity. Mm -hmm. So doing something as simple as putting a timer on your phone and listening to a relaxing song, 10 minutes, inhale for four counts, hold for four counts. Exhale for four counts, hold for four counts, repeat. That's called boxed breathing. Yes, that beautiful. literally, it engages your parasympathetic nervous system, which tells your body that you're safe. Yep. And you can't even think about sex if you aren't in a space where you feel safe. That's so, right. So getting to a space where you're reassociated with your body, connected mm-hmm. to your heart, and even doing that breath work with your partner, with your yeah. You can do it with, I, I love doing uninterrupted eye contact, do it for 10 minutes, breathe together and notice the connection you feel. There's so much, there's so much you can do to really re-engage that libido. Yeah,
0: I love that. We actually use that um, when we're about to start something that could be kind of heated with a couple mm-hmm. or they're, you know, we're mm-hmm. teaching them to engage healthily in conflict and we'll actually have one of them lead the breath work and have them take a few deep breaths together mm-hmm. until they're in sync. Mm. And it's pretty um, powerful to watch the impact that it makes.
2: Yeah. It is we, super powerful. We've done it a lot of times and it almost always has that effect. At first they look at it and go like, oh, this is silly. Mm-hmm. Like why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But after they do it, there is totally much more of like a, you know, calm that kind of settles in. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You drop. You drop from your head to your heart. Why? So whenever, it's been a long time since I've preached a sermon in person, but whenever I would do it, I would, I often end my sermons with grab the, grab a partner. People are like, whoa, we do (laughs) five, 10 minutes of eye contact and breath work. And wow. You know, people at first, they're looking at me. They're not looking at their partner and, oh, you know, it's crawling in their skin, feeling awkward, it's but terrible. not why, because you're living in your head. Yeah. I feel awkward. I don't want to look at this person. This is going to be weird. Are they going to reject me? What are they going to see? Head, mm-hmm. in your head, in your head. And then once you start breathing, mm-hmm. really drop down to your heart. And by the end, you're calm because you're in your body.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Because in the New
1: Testament, Jesus said like our body is a house for the holy or our body is a temple. And so Mm -hmm. there's no safer place that we can be.
2: However, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do think there, they see their body maybe because of what you've already talked about, the shame, the guilt, the, my desires are bad. My desires are from the devil. And so because of all of that programming, Mm -hmm. Um, they don't see their body as a safe place. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe talk about maybe what Jesus had to say about, you know, sexual, the their sexual desire or mm-hmm. about the body?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I... Most of the sexual references in the New Testament are not from Jesus. <laughs> They're from Paul, yeah. um, like the invitation to like flee from sexual immorality. But what I can mm-hmm. do is kind of walk through, you know, we know Jesus has a countercultural message when it comes to our body and desire because everything about Jesus was countercultural. Mm-hmm. We see starting in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard it said this way, but I say to you. So Jesus mm-hmm. is acknowledging the cultural norms, the societal norms, the religious mm-hmm. norms, and then he's saying, I have another way. Mm-hmm. So it's not a this or a that. And then we see the woman caught in adultery, which very interesting that the woman was drugged through town and not the man. Mm. It's very telling of culturally how women had zero rights, zero say. Culturally, she deserved death. That was the punishment. And religiously, mm. she deserved death as well. Oh. Jesus right. wasn't threatened by her desire, wasn't threatened by her sin. Instead, Jesus met her in an in an in-between space where he led with acceptance, dignity, and relationship. Then we see Jesus is friends with married and single women all through his ministry, single which and married is not women, normal. <laughs> not normal. We have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, which we, you know, we kind of like to think that's the the busybody versus the one being present. And, and yes, Mary was being present and Martha was doing the tasks, but in the Greek there, you know, she's referencing him as rabbi. So she's becoming a student of his, which would have been ridiculously insane and provocative for a woman to ever be given space to learn from a teacher. And so, I mean, over and over again in the resurrection, Jesus could have revealed himself to anyone in any way, Mm -hmm. yet he chose to reveal himself to Mary in a garden alone. Yeah. A garden is a place, culturally, when that was read, it would have been like, oh, that's where lovers rendezvous. Right. I'm not saying here that Mary and Jesus were lovers. I'm just saying, like, just by looking at who Jesus was and how Mm -hmm. he interacted with other humans, Mm -hmm. by the number one way that Jesus healed people was by physical touch, by touching their bodies. Why? Why? if God didn't care about the goodness of our bodies, why was Jesus constantly healing people's bodies? Mm -hmm. If our desire was so bad and if, if we were the sum of our desires, like a lot of culture says, or often, you know, the church says shut it down. Mm -hmm. So it's like by not making it a thing, it's made it the thing. Mm -hmm. So really culture church, we kind of have two sides of the same coin, Mm -hmm. but Jesus is like, no, I can be friends with women Actually, I would think they're so amazing. I'm going to have them in my ministry. And so when we think about that, I can't give you a specific verse where Jesus is like, your body is this or your desire is this. But we see the principle that Jesus was very unthreatened Mm -hmm. by male-female dynamics and relationships. Mm -hmm. Jesus was constantly restoring the heart and the physical body. And so, you know, we have this idea in, in a lot of, in a lot of religious circles, Christian cultures as well, that my body is bad. My desire is bad, Mm -hmm. but my spirit is good. That's, that's actually not a God story. That's Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that and all of that, it goes back to the beginning of the God story. For some reason, the story got hijacked and we only started at chapter three. <laughs> mm. And we pretend like chapter one didn't happen. Mm. Chapter one happened.
0: Yeah, that's good. I love that.
2: That is really good. Mm. Something that stood out to me. Um, one of the principal ways that scholars have proved because, um, you know, secular scholars want to say, oh, you know, the Bible or the the Gospels weren't written, you know, how they said they were or when they said they were. But one of the principal evidences for like the empty tomb is the fact that women are mentioned in such a predominant way mm. in the story of they're the ones who discovered the empty tomb. They're the ones, and they said, you know, if it was not true, then there would be absolutely no reason mm-hmm. to lie about it
0: if the author was trying to make up this yeah. story they wouldn't have put women in the story as the reputable source because they were they weren't in the reputable source exactly right. yeah.
2: so uh-huh. women were so incredibly like you know brought into the whole narrative unlike anything else in in the 1st century like it, I, I do find that interesting. And I, I like that, how you brought that out. That's, yeah. that's very interesting. So
0: Jesus yeah. was not afraid, like you said, of male female connection. He wasn't afraid of, um, of the, the human connection in general, um, regardless of class, mm-hmm. right? Like that yeah. was something that he broke the cultural norm about as well.
2: Well, and, and, the sitting at the feet, like you brought up sitting at the feet was actually a rabbinic saying for, Like a student of, Mm -hmm. or like he was her rabbi, her teacher. So yeah, I think yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean that can start a whole other conversation. I mean the whole narrative that women need to stay quiet and Mm -hmm. don't have voices in leadership rooms Mm -hmm. or decision making rooms Mm -hmm. is it's so confusing to me because I'm like Mm -hmm. I think we're reading a different book because the book I read Proverbs 31 is wildly progressive. It was yep. wildly progressive when it was written. It would have been wildly progressive mm. in first century culture to have an entrepreneurial business savvy woman who had multiple successful businesses. She was an, she had investment property. She had a clothing line. Her husband <laughs> was respected at the gates because she of her voice and influence. Mm. I mean, that's incredible. Ruth, Proposed marriage to Boaz. The language that she used when he, the Hebrew, when if uh, when the Hebrews read that, it would have been like, oh, she proposed to him. That's that's engagement language, mm-hmm. and we freak out in Christian culture. Oh, he's got to lead me. He's got uh-huh. he to, be yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great precedent. We just can't ignore the scripture mm-hmm. and. You know, God could have stopped the genocide of the Hebrew people anyway. And he chose to use a woman, Queen Esther, using That's her right. voice and influence, putting yes. her life on the line. And so I just I I just don't understand the narrative that says yeah. <laughs> women yeah. don't have a seat at the table. I'm like, we all suffer. Mm. We all suffer when women are invited into the conversation.
0: Mm. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Come on. That's good. I love that even though it's a little segue from our topic, it's it's well said and important um and related to this conversation for
2: sure. At least it needs to be a conversation.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll do a whole nother podcast on that topic. Oh, I would love it if you guys did that. That's great.
1: And it's not, um, it's not like the future's female down with the patriarchy. It's no. well, God said that human flourishing happens when humans flourish. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't just mean one gender. That's right. I right. that mean, the a yeah. flourishing of humanity. And yes. so what does that look like?
0: Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah. And, and so relevant to our conversation on, creativity and sensuality and that being a huge way to express desire whether you're married or not that's good Mm.
2: well it doesn't matter what the culture is doing it seems like culture is going you know that far right you know down with the patriarchy you know whatever is true i think that's what we have to get back to is what is what is the biblical way Mm -hmm. what is the bible saying to us in this in this you know this realm of of women and, and what they have to bring and what they have to say yeah. and how can we rightfully um, you know, live our lives in a biblical way. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm. Question for you, Kat, as we kind of wind down, um, you have a book coming out called Sexless in the City. Share with <laughs> us a little bit about um, why you decided to write that book. Um, and and then, when it's coming. Yeah, give us the details.
1: Yeah, so... Sexless in the City is out April 20th, which, oh, very, very excited. It's it's coming up on us. And gosh, why did I write that book? Well, first of all, before it was even a book, it was my process of kind of coming to a fork in the road in my own life of realizing I had no idea outside of quote unquote, because the Bible told me so, what, why I was waiting until marriage to have sex. And so mm. the book for me is the journey of unpacking what do I believe about God? What do I believe about sex, sexuality, desire, intimacy? How do I know God's heart? What is God's vision for relationships and intimacy and mm. sex? And what does that mean for me? practically as a single person? What does it mean for if you're in a relationship? And so it's my journey of discovering what I believe to be um, God's heart and vision Mm -hmm. for sex outside of a set of shaming rules. Okay. And so I wrote it because it was the book I needed. It was the book I wish I would have had 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I also wrote it because I was really tired of here as a single woman. And now I'm 35 So I can say as a single woman who's 35 now, Mm -hmm. I am really tired of hearing male pastors who largely got married in their early twenties. Tell me what it's like Mm -hmm. to be abstaining for literally decades. It, Mm -hmm. it doesn't change truth, but it does change empathy. Uh, And I just mm -hmm. felt like, okay, maybe it's not necessarily that what he's saying isn't true But he has no idea what it's like to date in hookup culture and Mm -hmm. online dating culture and social media culture. And Mm -hmm. so I felt that there was a real lack of empathy. Okay. And, And then on top of that, I started noticing, man, a lot of these same pastors who are preaching this message of quote unquote purity are falling like flies into sexual scandal, and being yeah. exposed. And right. so I just felt like I want to hear from someone who's actually living this. Yeah. So yeah. for me, writing this was it's not theory, mm-hmm. it is some theology, but it's yeah. my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the story that I needed. Yeah. And I, I hope for you know whether you're married or single Christian or not, that there's there's beauty and value and learning how do I deconstruct the shameful narratives that I was given, not mm-hmm. so that I can live in the deconstruction, but that's so I can reconstruct a holistic vision for sexuality. And then from there, go into the practical. From there, be like, okay, so now how do I want to date? So now what do I want my relationship to be with physical boundaries and sex? Or now what do I want my relationship to be with my body? But first, we have to give ourselves the permission to unpack how did I get here?
0: Yeah. And
1: then after that, where do I want to go?
0: I love that. It's like it's like saying, you know, the the boundaries are important and the the guidelines and and you know the pure morals are important, but search it for yourself. Kind of like, you know, the the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they questioned Paul. They searched the scriptures for themselves to figure out if what Paul was saying was true. And um and I think that's what what you're getting at is like I'm gonna search this for myself I'm gonna deconstruct narratives that I've heard and I'm gonna f- search it out and then I'll decide the practicals right Well
2: Paul yeah. says the same thing to Timothy to to study to show that himself approved unto God a workman or workwoman right Yeah <laughs> yeah in his case a man Yeah but yeah. I'm sure that would apply for everyone that we're we are told to study Yeah so, yeah it
1: one of the best, the best pieces of insight I got from Bible college was the first book that we were given to read was called Your Mind Matters by John Stott. Okay. It's yeah. probably 50, 50 pages. Uh-huh. And it's all about how God created us holistically. So that means that our minds matter. So yeah. kind of what we're saying, you know, don't I take your it. pastor's word for it. Don't even take my word for it. Don't take y'all's word for it. Do the work. Do You're the work. To Ask questions. If God is real, then God does not have a fragile ego. He can handle your questions.
0: Amen. So good. Spoken like an apologist. I know, yeah, I'm
2: hearing some of that. Well, thank you so much for the vulnerability. I'm sure the book is going to be really good and very vulnerable piece for you, yes. but very needed, and um, thank you for doing that. Yeah.
1: Thanks for. We'll much. We'll
0: link. Um, people can pre-order the book, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So and I, like I did.
1: That. I did create a couple other resource links for you guys. Yes. I have a ton of books that I read in the research of writing my book, Theology okay. of the Body, Minglo- Mingling of the Souls by Matt Chandler. Just different. How mm-hmm. did I come to where I'm at today? Okay. I'll send you guys a link that you can put in the notes of. Perfect. You can just it's a it's a I'm Amazon shop where you can just see all the books. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Um, okay, that'll yeah, be good. So I just I want to make sure people are equipped to do the work we're inviting them to do yes
0: so good. is um your mind matters also in that list you
1: know it's not but i i i will put that in there before okay. as soon as i get off the phone all, right. so I we'll reference link... it all the time
0: great okay <laughs> so we'll link we'll link sexless in the city and then we'll link your amazon store with all the books all the mm-hmm. things so that people can um uh, be equipped cool good okay Thank so uh we're we're coming to the end of the podcast and we're gonna ask you A similar question that we ask other folks on the podcast, but this time we'll ask you. Slightly (laughs) different. Yeah, to fill in the blank with um, what maybe advice you wish you would have received as a younger self, maybe in your early 20s. Um, So maybe fill in the blank for this one, dear young single person.
1: I would say you have the permission to be human and your body. And your desire is not bad because God doesn't make bad things.
2: Beautiful.
0: Love it. Thank you so much, Kat, for imparting your experience, your wisdom, and your heart with us today. We know that it will impact many, many people. Yes. Thank you. you, you. It's our pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. God bless you.
2: All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797. Or shoot us an email at hello at com.
0: No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.